0: So, Premier League Podcast, where three lads discuss all things English Football Pyramid. On today's episode, we'll briefly touch on the news today around the European Super League. We'll do our Premier League team of the season so far and some of the over and under achievers in the 23-24 campaign. We'll look ahead to the key Premier League games in game week 18, including Liverpool versus Arsenal, which will decide who sits top at Christmas. We'll run through the main games from the EFL, including Pyramid Pod Cup holders Southampton, who go to QPR and Leeds versus Ipswich. And we'll finish up with Laura, who will preview Yeovil at Eastbourne Borough, looking to turn around recent form. I'm your host, Alex Murphy. And once again, I'm joined by Tom Gallagher and Tom Lawrence. Just before we get started, uh, chaps, just uh, some news for the pod. And congratulations to Lauro and his wife, Chloe, uh, on the birth of their daughter, Honey Beatrix Lawrence, our newest listener. So congrats, Lauro.
1: Yeah, cheers. I did ask her if she wants to come on the pod, but... uh she said she couldn't sit for an hour and a half of XG from T-Girl, so I've left her downstairs.
0: <laughs> mate, to be fair, you can probably play those parts to get her to sleep if ever she's up at night. Hmm. Um, Tomo, come to you first. So European Super League, uh, mate, can you just explain a bit to anyone who's not heard of it before what the uh, kind of idea behind the European Super League is and what the uh, recent news around it is as
2: well? Um, Right, well, just to quickly sum it up a little bit then. So the European Court of Justice this morning have ruled um, that UEFA and FIFA um, basically shouldn't have a monopoly on football competitions. So the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona, who were still legally in the Super League, um, are able to, I guess, opt out of playing in the Champions League and create their own league rather than playing the Champions League. And the reason they're doing that is basically because over the last 15 to 20 years, um, the Premier League has become so powerful and the money in the Premier League has become so much more that it's almost dwarfing all of the other leagues combined. La Liga is struggling, um, Serie A is struggling, everywhere really apart from the Premier League is struggling. Um, So you can kind of see why they're doing it in a way, self-preservation and all that um so yeah so then so that ruling happened today which kind of spiraled a new announcement from the super league that they um that they sort of created a new format because if you remember rightly they introduced this super league in 2021 just shortly after the pandemic or during the pandemic and it got rightly panned because it was um i think 14 of the the 18 clubs that were going to be involved were always going to be there. The founding clubs were always going to be there, which meant that the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona, Man United, Man City would never not be in this competition, no matter how badly they get. Um, A case in point, Man United, over the last 10 years, haven't been in the Champions League every year because they've been so poorly, um, because they've been so poor. Um, And anyway, they've announced a new format today, which... Includes three divisions, um, 20 clubs in each division. Um, It includes relegation and promotion between divisions. And it also includes, if you're in the bottom division, which I guess would be their version of the UEFA Conference League, um, 14 out of the 20 clubs or 16 out of the 20 clubs would then, every year would get relegated and a new 14 clubs would join. So even though they're dressing it up this new format as sort of a, a meritocracy, um, a more of a meritocracy, meritocracy competition than before, it still kind of means that the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona, all the older top clubs, if they did go in it, um, would always be in it. So, yeah. So o- over the course of the day, clubs like Manchester United, um, Inter Milan, Atletico Madrid, Madrid, um, PSG, Bayern Munich, Dortmund have all basically come out with joint statements, really, um, saying that they're not going to do the Super League. So it's just another, I guess, another wrinkle in the story, another page in the book of the Super League. Um, I'm not really sure what the end game will be, to be honest, but Real Madrid and Barcelona seem um, adamant that it's going to go ahead. And um, the only thing I would say, which I'm not... Sometimes when these things come out and things sound too good to be true, they usually are. But one of the main selling points from the Super League this time around is that they want to create their own streaming service that will be free to all football fans. So the likes of us guys, we're paying hundreds of pounds for Sky Sports, BT, Amazon, whatever you like. Their their model seems to be um, that we wouldn't have to pay anything. We would just have to download this stream and service, but, and they would basically fund it purely on advertising. Um, so look, it's interesting, but I don't think it's going to get anywhere um, soon. Although they do say that they're hoping to launch the league in 2025. Sorry, that was a long answer, but yeah.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely fine. And so the sites that have come out and said they won't be taking part of it, would, would this European Super League
2: have been their domestic competition or would they still be in the Prem and Serie Yeah, so so yeah, just another one. Basically, it will be 14 matches minimum. Um, and right now, the Champions League from next season will be eight matches minimum. So basically, what they're trying to do is compete with the Champions League. It will be midweek games, which means that the um, domestic competitions won't be affected um although it is a minimum of 14 games which means that the likes of the carabao cup might have to get scrapped for the clubs that are in that competition doesn't mean the carabao cup has to be scrapped altogether but the 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 european sides or the the, the sides who are in the super league i guess would have to opt out of that because there's no there's not enough weeks in the year to fill fill all those fixtures but yeah, so look, it's it's an improved version of what we what we saw before and heard before in 2021, but it's still got a lot of holes and a lot of questions and you just don't know. And it almost, I know this is pure speculation and con- almost conspiracy theory lands, but you almost feel like the next step for them will be like the PIF, the Saudi funds, will, will come in and start spending loads of money to get clubs on board. And it's like, so look...
0: I think that's I think that's what my thinking whether it was, is I saw that like some of the big clubs had come out and said they wouldn't take any part of it. But some of the kind of top Turkish sides like Besiktas, Fenerbahce, Galatasaray said that they might be keen to go on it. I wondered if it would almost turn into like a bit of a live golf situation where you had almost like a, not to be rude to the Turkish sides, but like lower tier premium European clubs in that. European Super League and then it's like could they have the financial sway to eventually get you know like the equivalent of John Rahm going to live golf now like a juggernaut of England, of um European football over suddenly be like oh we've managed to convince Dortmund to come over you know yeah. and try and go that way but it just don't feel like it's
2: Well it's... look if you if you sort of take your example and say that it's Real Madrid and Barcelona who are definitely going to go and then you've got the likes of teams at the level of Galatasaray, Fenerbahce and Basiktas, Napoli have said, the Napoli owners said that they're open to joining it as well. But how can you call a competition, a Super League, if you haven't got all of the best teams in it? Do you know what I mean? So unless unless there's 20 of the 30 best clubs in the world every single season, it's just, it's always going to be a lower level competition. So I bet they end up
0: open it up from Europe if they don't get all the top sides and start pulling Saudi sides into it and like you know like they got the club world cup get some like Brazilian sides South American sides from that but then but then
2: yeah and that's another thing I thought about as well definitely if Saudi got involved then you 100% think that Saudi clubs would want to be involved in that competition but Saudi Arabia have got a very good relationship with FIFA right now uh, in And in ten years' time, eleven years' time, they're going to be hosting the World Cup in twenty thirty four. So you would think that they would want to keep a good relationship with FIFA. So, and the reason why FIFA have expanded the Club World Cup to thirty two teams from twenty twenty five is is to help clubs like from Saudi Arabia. So I don't know. There's just so there's so much going on. It just feels it's quite distasteful all of it to be honest. And um, the only sort of saving grace, which, again, I'll caveat with it, does sound way too good to be true, is that the Super League this time said that it's going to be free for fans like us. But yeah, is that I mean, is that true? We don't know. The zone was going to
0: be free or you wouldn't be paying for pay-per-views, though, and stuff like that, wasn't it? And that's all uh, changing. So, right, well, yeah, you might get to see Real Madrid versus Galatasaray free to air next year then. Uh, listeners, So watch out for that one. <laughs> Boys, let's move on for that. Let's uh, get on to something a bit more uh, fun. Uh, we're going to do our team of the season so far for the Premier League. And um, we've we've spoke a little bit off air about the size. We've managed to whittle down. I think we've got five players out of the 11 that we've unanimously agreed with. And then we've got six positions where there are two different options for it. And I'll obviously come to both of you for a bit of a uh, steer on why you've picked those person, uh, the, that player. And uh, we can maybe try and come to a decision between us afterwards. So uh, it's, we're going to play a 4 3 3, uh, as most sides tend to do now. And we'll start off with the keeper and see how I'll start with you first. Might not take too much explanation, but uh, I believe you had Alisson in goal.
1: Yeah, I did have Alisson in goal. I just think. A, he's the best goalkeeper in the Premier League for me and has been for a little while. I, what I like about him is I think he's the best kind of hybrid keeper in the world. I think he's a, he, you know, nowadays there's a big sort of um, want for your keeper to be able to distribute and play out from the back well. But sometimes that comes at the detriment of their shot stopping and kind of essential goalkeeping attributes. But with him, I think he's one of the best shot stoppers, if not the best in the country but also is very good at sort of starting off moves and being that sweeper keeper as well. So, yeah, I love Alisson. I think mean, he's the best keeper in the league. Liverpool was second, having a great season. They've conceded far less, along with Arsenal, than anyone else in the league with 15. So, no-brainer, really, for me, that one.
0: And Tomo, uh, for you, the probably the biggest out in the Prem, but a World Cup uh, winning goalkeeper, Emmy Martinez?
2: Yeah, look, I, I don't really like him, to be honest. I don't really like his shenanigans, but... And it's hard to disagree with anything Laura just said, to be honest, because Allison is the best goalkeeper in the in the league. But I'm just I just think what Aston Villa are doing so far this season is um pretty unprecedented, really, for that club. And he's been a massive part of it. Um he obviously got named the best um goalkeeper in the world. Was it last month or the month before at the Ballon d'Or Awards? Um and He's just been—he's just been different class, really. Um, albeit, he's a massive shit house, but—but but yeah, look, I—I I wouldn't disagree with Loro to be honest. I'm—I'm I'm happy to put Alisson in, in
0: there as well. I am—I'm um, gonna have to say i am gonna go for Alisson and uh, he will be in goal for our team of the season so far. I think one thing that Loro called out is his ability to distribute, but also be. An unbelievable shot stopper. Like everyone got on Hoyland's back for that uh, mischance on his right foot in the game. But I've watched a few angles of it, and it's like I can't really see unless he aimed right at Alisson's feet and there's a few instances of this with Alisson as well he seems to fill the goal so well there didn't seem to be an angle that Hoyland could have aimed for like his positioning was unbelievable Hoyland couldn't go near post he couldn't fire it across him it didn't look like it looked like the only way to go would be to fire at his feet before Alisson then had to part his feet to to make a dive one way or the other um, I think he's the best goalkeeper in the world and yeah I think uh, we will have him in there so in goal Alisson Uh, Right back, bit of debate on this one as well, actually. And Tomo, come to you first. You've got uh, Trent.
2: Yeah, uh, well, I mean, okay, we can all talk about his defensive um, vulnerabilities, um, especially at the start of the season. But I would say the last six weeks, he has got back to his very best. And to be honest, Jurgen Klopp has backed him the whole time um, throughout his bad spell. And he's almost gone. Look, I don't mind sort of conceding a couple of chances every game because of you, because and the reason for that is because what you give in attack. And he's just so good, basically. And I just I do admire a player going through a sticky patch. And he just got slated and slated and slated and, that, and now he is fully back to his best. And um it's good to see to be honest. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely put him in there.
0: And then, Laura, a guy who's uh, hit a little bit of sticky form recently, but uh, Kieran Trippier for you.
1: Yeah, I think Kieran Trippier is the standout right back in the Premier League and and possibly has been for the last couple of seasons. I think this podcast and this half-team of the season has come at a time where he's probably in his stickiest stage of form that he's been in since being at Newcastle and that's coincided with Trent, like Tigal just said, having a couple of really big games in the last few weeks. But I just think the sort of stalwart nature of his tenure at Newcastle so far where he's kind of been um, he personifies that sort of growth that they've made under Eddie Howe since he's come in and he's just an 8 out of 10 most weeks and I take what on board what you say about Trent going forward but I just think that you know Trent can be a match winner for Liverpool on his day but he can also cause them lots of problems and headaches with his positional play and his actual defending at times, which is something that obviously people talk about a lot when it comes to Trent. I know we're just judging it on this season and, you know, Liverpool have been better. So Trent's been better and we, we look at all of his attacking highlights again. But, um, you know, if I was picking a team and, and you asked me to have Trippier or Trent at right back for England, for example, it would be Trippier even just based on this year's form.
0: Yeah. And just one thing I'll throw in the mix there as well is, um, Carl walker and the only reason to say that is that people maybe think he's had a bit of a under the radar season might have had some games that that he's not played in but i'd imagine that if england were going to a major tournament uh, another winter one that he'd be our starting right back um he he gets a little bit um i think just almost victim of his own success sometimes where it's just like oh Carl walker's Carl walker and he doesn't do he's not always an assist or a goal machine or popping up with fantasy league points but um Top right back, but out of the two that you boys have shortlisted, I'm going to go with um with Trent and obviously put him into the side there. So he has uh very impressive. He's now doing this kind of hybrid role of stepping into midfield. Um, I do think that he's going to start for England, albeit might be in a bit of a midfield position. But um, over the two and maybe a little bit of recency bias with Trippier's poor form, but I'm going to put Trent in there. One that we've all agreed with, and Tomo just come for you for a little bit of a summary uh, on him is Saliba uh, at Arsenal at centre back. I think most people in the country probably have
2: them in, have him in their side though. So just a little
0: bit on him so far this year.
2: Um, well, I I think he's the best centre back in the in the world right now. Honestly, like like watching him, he is unbelievable. He Looks like Van Dijk from 2019 or 2020. That pre-injury Van Dijk, I just think he's unbelievable. And him and Gabriel have formed a, um, a formidable partnership. I mean, they, they formed it last season, but this season um they've been rock solid, to be honest. And he's obviously the standout. So, yeah, uh, it's no surprise to anyone that he's in our team. Yeah, definitely. No
0: shouts at Gabriel on the other um centre-back partnership, though. Uh, we've got a couple of different options here. Laura, I'll come to you first. Uh, big Virgil van Dyke for you. Yeah,
1: van Dyke. I, I, I think he's, I'd um, say, back to his absolute best because, obviously, he's a little bit older now. Tomo just alluded to the injuries he's had and the, the drop-off that we saw after that. But we're not talking about van Dyke this season, but he's a rock at the back for Liverpool. Again, I'll come to the goals that they've conceded this year. It's very, very low, the lowest in the Premier League. Um, coinciding with them being second and I just think we're not talking about him which means he's doing his job again and if I was going to pick two centre-backs to start for me at the moment in the Premier League it would be Saliba and Virgil van Dijk and I think he's back to that kind of level where players don't want to play against him so it is also admirable that he has come back from that drop-in form as you get older it's obviously harder to elevate your performances so to come back from an injury and a lot of media attention into his dwindling kind of performances to come back and sort of lead the way for Liverpool and you know look to be in the mix at Christmas so far this season which not many people really thought at the start I think shows his his role in the team um, is very very big so yeah I don't think it's a massively um, contested position this year Salah is the standout and Van Dyke is next for me
0: yeah, and um, maybe the fact that it's not too contested uh, by this shout, maybe not one anyone would have expected at the start of the season, but been very impressive and starting to be linked with some some big uh, clubs now. But Tommy, you went for Jared Branthwaite at Everton.
2: Yeah, well, he's, he's basically, I would say, him and Tarkovsky um, have formed a really solid partnership at Everton and they're... Um, one of the main reasons why Everton are doing so well this season, um, when you look at sort of Michael Keane's struggles in recent years, um, at Everton, and they, they really needed someone to sort of step in, um, to create a sort of a solid partnership with Tarkovsky and Brantway's done that. And he's, he's obviously really young and there's no, I mean, he's recently signed a new deal. So take a lot of money to, to get him out of Everton, but, um, so it says a lot about how well he's doing that he's getting linked to to, to all the big clubs, and um, I mean Everton. Really, like really, I, I had a look at them the other day; that they, they'd be like one point behind Man United if it wasn't for the ten point deduction. So, and yeah, he's a, he's a massive part of that.
0: Yeah, he he has been. Uh, I'm going to side with uh, Virgil Van Dijk on this one. Just I still think that he's right at that level of one of the top centre backs uh in the world and obviously in the Premier League. I think him versus Saliba would not concede many goals. But I'm very interested to see where Jared Branthwaite uh ends up. I know he's been linked with United a little bit, albeit um say he a new deal and might be priced out of that for United, but can just see him signing for a, a massive club uh in the summer. So but no Virgil van Dyke for now. Uh, left back, then, boys. So, so far, we got Alison Trent, Celebrum, Van Dyke. Uh, Laurie, come to you first on this one. And you've gone for
1: uh, Udogi at Spurs. I have, yeah. He, he's he been one of the standout players of the season for me. He's probably one of the first names on this team sheet, um, one of the sign ins of the summer as well. And it's probably, you know, personal preference comes into it. I like kind of dynamic players. I think he's shown he's a, a really good left back. He's For me, he's easily the standout left back in the league, but I just love his. You know, when Tottenham were in possession, he's gut-busting into attacking play, making positions to get on the end of crosses or to be um, putting them in and creating chances as well. And I just think he's got that football charisma that as a neutral football fan, which I am of the Premier League this season, he's just one of those players that I like to watch. And I will shout out Pedro Porro as well, who I think has been quite impressive on the other side and maybe is up against stiffer competition in terms of this kind of team. Um but yeah, I, I will, but if, you know, if we're to- arguing the toss here, I will passionately defend Destiny Udogi as being our left back because I think it's by quite a distance.
0: Yeah, and actually in a season where Man City have tended to play a centre-half at left back, Chilwell, Andy Robertson, Luke Shaw have spent a lot of time on the sidelines. There's not been uh, there's not been too many kind of standout left backs so far, but Tom, are you gone for a bit of an outside wild card as well? Yeah. Uh, the man nicknamed Jedi, Anthony
2: Robinson from Fulham. Yeah, I just think he's um like a very solid Premier League left back. He's never present in that team. Um and look, we're not picking a team based on how well he's done over the last couple of seasons. Um so let's just talk about this season. Obviously, Fulham are going through going through a bit of turmoil, I would I would suggest, at the end of August when Palinia nearly left, Mitrovic left at the end of the year. So and obviously Marco Silva nearly left as well. But um, but yeah, Anthony Robinson's had a very solid season. I obviously kept a keener eye on him when they faced Man United. And he absolutely, he put Anthony in his pocket and patted him on the head and just for 90 minutes. I know most left-backs have done that to Anthony this season, but um, he was very impressive that game. And he's just been very solid. And like you say that, the only thing I, I didn't pick destiny a doggy basically was because I felt like over the last maybe four or five weeks, he's just gone off the boil a little bit um, alongside Tottenham. But yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree too much that he's in. Um, but yeah, Anthony Robertson for me is just an ever present in that Fulham team. They're mid table. It's easy to forget that they only got, they only got promoted a couple of seasons ago. Um, and they're already, an it feels like an established mid table club. So and I think he's, he's a big part of that. He's a very good player. Uh,
1: uh, can I just say, I think the standard for getting in a team of this kind of calibre has to be higher than yeah, but just
2: left, being a Murphy, Murphy's just said the left-back position isn't quite what it was. Do you know what I mean? Oh, boy, in, between and, you-
1: so did, and so did I. And so did I. But Udogi has been standout left-back this season. I, I don't think he has gone off. I know like he got sent off. He was brilliant the other day when they smashed Newcastle to pieces all over the pitch, affecting games very much like your reasoning for picking Trent on the other side, who doggy is like that for Spurs and he, he must create nightmares for opposition managers trying to, you know, think about the shape and, and how they're going to defend without the ball, etc. And your reasoning for picking Anthony Robinson for me is a bit of an overthought, you know, a solid left back and a never present for a team that what is bottom half mid-table. Who okay are in a decent vein of form the last week and a half? Um, yeah, I think we've overthought that one a little bit. If I'm honest, Tiga.
2: Well, I've no thought we were overthinking it. I think it's uh, it's not that deep.
0: Um, no mention, boys, between us of uh, Zinchenko. Not not had too many injury concerns. Been part of an Arsenal side that are top of the league, but not mentioned at all between any of us. So is that just? Well, we...
1: We talk... Yeah, we talk about the eye test a lot. Um... I just, you just go off what you see. Look, I'm sure Zinchenko is obviously having a decent season, um, as is Anthony Robinson at Fulham. But again, this, the, I think Udogi's been proper standout. I think he sort of captivates the neutral fan every time that he plays so far this season, or more often than not. And I think he's been creative. He's been a good defender. Yes, he's been rash at times, but every player, every good player has normally got some sort of streak in them. Um obviously credit has to go to the management and the coaching there as well. He's probably got more freedom than maybe certain other fullbacks in the league. But you've just got to call it as you see it, haven't you? Zinchenko's obviously a good left-back. I wouldn't say no to him. But for the team of the season so far, I think, I, you know, what do you think, Murph? I think you doggy stand up.
0: Yeah, I had you doggy in it. The only thing I would say is sent off, uh, off before and he's missing the next game as well for yellow cards. So that's five yellow cards and an instance of a... Uh, red card as well so when you when those games start to top up that you miss I think he was two bookings when so he only missed one for his red card uh, compared <clears throat> to Romero uh, straight red in that game but um, that's just something to keep an eye on but I think pound for pound I would have him in my side uh, so far um, especially as I say with Chilwell Robertson and, and Shaw missing there But moving into the midfield now, boys, in one position or two of the two of the positions we all agree with. But I'll start with one in particular and come to you, Lauro. Declan Rice obviously sat in there. I'd probably say looking down the list, the the first one that we'd all put in uh, unanimously, that seemed to be the strongest one.
1: Yeah, fantastic. And I think when you're moving, particularly as an English player, moving domestically um, to a team that's obviously kind of on the fringe of Europe to a team that's looking to challenge for the title with such a big price tag. We've seen it time and time again in the past where it's very, very difficult to live up to things, certainly in a quick time frame and do things straight away. And his performances, as they were at West Ham and as they are for England, are mustered every single week is an eight or a nine or a 10 out of 10. He's the first name that any manager would want on their team sheet every week, regardless of what club you are probably in the world. And you add into that, Add into the fold the kind of match-winning moments he's had this season, particularly against Manchester United and Luton the other day. That's what we said at the start of the season. Arsenal needed someone to elevate from a midfield position and help transform Arsenal into a nearly team to a genuine title contender and the team that is possibly favourites for the league now. So Declan Rice has been instrumental in that. He's scored some vital goals. He's putting in the same old fantastic performances he was at West Ham. He's going from strength to strength and it's very, very difficult to find fault with him, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, definitely. And can't wait for uh, him to be part of England's uh, Euro hopes in the summer. I'm so jealous that Arsenal have got him um, over United, but I guess United just aren't in the race for those players uh, anymore, certainly at the moment. Tomo sat inside in the midfield, another player we were unanimous in, uh, Aston Villa,
2: um, and someone's probably going to be linked with some big moves, Dougie Luiz. Yeah, he's been fantastic, hasn't he? But to be fair, most of the, the Villa midfield could have been given a shout. Douglas Luiz probably gets it purely on the fact that he's obviously chipped in with quite a lot of goals this year, penalty taker, so that's easy to do when you're the penalty taker. But um, yeah, look, he looks unbelievable. They signed him from, I think, Man City, Um and he looks like he looks like a proper Man City player. He could slot into any team in the top six. Well, I mean Villa are in the top six now, so why would you leave? But yeah, it looks like Arsenal are in for him. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Man City were in for him. Um I'd take him at United at a heartbeat. I think he's been he's been different, gravy. So and I think we're all agreed that he deserves a place in our um our midfield um of the season so far. Yeah, definitely. And actually, the the next one's probably been the hardest
0: one. I will just give a shout out to James Madison, who probably, but for that injury, would be sat in front of those two players in the the 10 position. Um, He obviously made an electric start to life at Spurs. Their form dropped to start with without him, albeit a couple of other injuries and suspensions as well. Um, but he completely lit up the prem. But other than that, I don't think there's been someone who plays in that more attacking role who's been standout so far. So actually it looks like we're playing a bit more of a flatter midfield three. Um, and Tommy, we were just talking about how good the Aston Villa midfield were and someone you put in um, into the hat is uh, Kamara.
2: Yeah. Like unbelievable. I think he's been sort of their unsung hero of the season. Um and look, I, I'm not sitting here and set, and putting him ahead of Rodri because I think he's a better player than Rodri. That's absolutely not the case. I think Rodri is by far the best DM in the Prem. And I think um, he's proved that again at the start of the season or, or the first half of the season. The only reason why I'm not picking Rodri is because I think he's one of the main reasons why they've dropped off a little bit. And it's not because he's been playing badly. It's because he got himself suspended for three games and they didn't win any of those and then he got suspended again for an accumulation of bookings and I think they they didn't win that game either so I'm not suggesting he's not the best he's he probably is their most important player and when he's played he's obviously been brilliant but I just think that kind of that element of his game that's got him suspended quite a bit this season has cost it, here. so it's hard for me to put him in the the team of the season so far. Um, and I think Kamara is basically just that ever that little bit more reliable in that sense this season.
0: Yeah. And, uh, he got a straight red at the weekends about to serve a free match ban, uh, Bubakar. So, um, yeah. but yeah, great signing free, free transfer from Marseille. I remember Man United linked with him, um, when he was available on a free and people saying it's a no brainer. Um, and that looks to be the case now. I imagine Villa, though they don't need to be a selling club Villa, uh, will go on to, to recoup some big fees for it. And a shout out as well for, um, John McGinn as well. I think, um, I've seen him tipped to be in team of the season or up for player of the season this year uh, by one pundit. It might have been Chris Sutton, actually. But, um, yeah, the, the Villa midfield's absolutely flying. Uh, Tomo's obviously touched on Rodri there and, Lauro, uh, a name that you'd have definitely in your side.
1: Yeah, and if I was listening to any podcast who was doing a team of the season so far it didn't have Rodri in it, I would never listen to it again, if I'm honest with you. So <laughs> it's a good job that I'm here today. Look, you can't... Rodri is the best player in the league. He's the best midfielder in the world. He's been the best midfielder in the league this season. And we're talking about not having him in, it, having him in the team of the season because they're cracked without him. That isn't his fault. Okay, he might, he might have had a couple of silly suspensions, but we're talking about the team of the season. And to suggest that Boubacar Kamara gets in ahead of Rodri is that the fact that City are struggling so much in the games without him just shows you how good he is. And I know that you weren't suggesting that Kamara or anyone is better than Rodri, but let's again, let's just think about the team of the season. Yeah, can I just remind? Can I just
2: can I just remind you that Aston Villa are above Man City right now. Yeah. So, so you for you to suggest that Kamara is like a, a rogue shout is absolutely ridiculous.
1: I didn't say he was a rogue shout. You could have had him over Douglas Louise if you want. I wouldn't have said anything. But we're talking about the three midfield positions here. There are three central midfielders. We're not even playing a cam. So you could have had any other two, but Rodri is an absolute must. You can remind me that Villa are above them in the league. I can remind you that every other player that I've suggested are above Fulham in the league, but you still had Anthony Robinson for some reason in our fullback position, if it was up to you. Rodri absolutely has to be in the team of the season and one of the best midfielders that we've ever seen. I, I I cannot believe that I'm even having to justify it. So if you can we, come back to talking, me and tell me but, why.
2: But I'm saying we're talking the team. I'm not we're talking about the team of the season. And I've just said yeah. the reason why I've not included him is because he's got himself sent off and suspended, which is his fault. And yeah. in every one of those games, Man City have lost or drawn, and that's why they're four from the league right now. So it's got nothing to do with how good he is. It's just got everything to do with. He's a big reason why City are struggling. I don't think it's that that roger shout that he's not in my team, but
1: it, it I, I do appreciate it
2: that he is the best DM in the world. I understand that, and he sure. and,
1: and he's been the best DM in the league this season. Would you Would you agree with that? Well, <laughs> yeah, when he's
2: played, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So you're saying that the reason they're fourth in the league is because they've struggled in games that he wasn't in, because he's yes. so good when he's playing. So where would they be without him at all?
0: But to Tomo's point, we've had 17 games now in the Prem and he had a three-match suspension when they're 2-0 up against Forest, where he's throttled Morgan Gibbs-White and then he's accumulated five yellow cards, which I think meant he missed a game that they didn't win there. Was it the Villa game maybe that he missed for accumulation? So to Tomo's point, and there's a statement that's going around in football quite a lot at the minute, is availability is the best ability As someone who is that experienced, done what he's done on the the stage for Man City for Spain, he really shouldn't be getting a straight red and missing three games that Man City then don't go on to win, and he shouldn't um shouldn't then be really at this stage be picking up five yellow cards. Yeah, he's missed
2: a lot of games. He's he's missed twenty five percent of the season. It's so it's so immature from Rodri.
1: Give me a break. He shouldn't be getting sent off. I mean, for fuck's sake. We're talking about the Premier League team of the season. Can we please have the best player in the league this season in it?
0: He is in it. I will. I I will agree with you on that. I'm going to have him over Bubakar. I must admit. Uh, but Tomo's point is a strong one that Rodri. The only thing that is stopping him from potentially being in there is that his disciplinary record has cost Man City because they've not won any of those four games that he's been involved with, which are the quarter stage of the season or quarter of the games get on towards halfway in the season finds them fourth in the table so I get the point but he is in there
1: uh, and yeah and I don't get the point and think it's an absolute travesty that we've had that conversation but let's move on
0: <laughs> right one thing we can all agree on probably don't need talk too much talking about Tomo uh Mo Salah in on our right wing
2: yeah no not really he's um he's just bagging loads of goals, getting loads of assists, not getting any plaudits, just same thing every year for Mo Salah. Um, he's different class, mate. Yeah, he's obviously, yeah. And one thing with Salah
0: that I've spoken to a few people about now is he's almost, uh, we spoke about someone else earlier, victim of own success. He like gets spoken about sometimes, like last year, like he had a bit of a poor season. Like it was a bit like, oh, Salah dropped off, Liverpool didn't get top four. And it's like, well, no, hang on. Let, let, let's just be realistic here. I still think he was right up there in the goal-scoring charts behind Haaland, ahead of Rashford, who had his best-ever season. I think sometimes the disrespect that he gets Mo Salah, um, just because of like people are used to a certain level that he's done, but he continues to do it. Like, he scored 19 Premier League goals last year, albeit he's done 23s, 22s, 32s. But, yeah, I think he gets way too uh, much stick sometimes. I'd actually go as far to say I'm just trying to think if this is a ridiculous shout. But would Salah now be in a all
1: time Prem Eleven on the right? Is yeah. there anyone obvious I'm missing there? Well it depends where, if you if and where you play Ronaldo, but yeah, Salah is definitely right in that conversation, if not definitely in that all time Prem Eleven, in my opinion. Obviously that's one for another pod, but yeah. certainly not a stupid suggestion. No. Uh, The other wing then, Loro.
0: uh, another unanimous decision and someone who's kind of taken the burden with Harry Kane leaving, maybe playing a little bit more centrally, but uh, we are going to play him down through the left because I'm sure he'd still do bits, but Hyung min Son.
1: Yeah, and he does still play down the left when he's asked to. He can play all across the front three, really, and I think A, it's another impressive one whereby he probably fell off a little bit in the previous season and a lot of pundits and people on social media thought he'd lost his legs a little bit so to spin that back round and be so good particularly in the absence of Harry Kane leaving to go to uh, Munich and lead the line and be a leading light for Spurs in this kind of new regime and you forget with Sonny he's like in his 30s now I think as well just another fantastic Premier League player that keeps on doing it consistently at a very high level barring probably one poor season last year and He's been he sort of encapsulates everything that's been good about Spurs this season, and another player that I absolutely love watching. So yeah, I'm glad. I think we've all agreed on Sonny, haven't we?
0: Yeah, Sonny, and unanimously. Just a shout out uh, to Jared Bowen as well, who's already into double figures goals for the season, up to ten, um, alongside Hyunmin Son, one behind Salah. Uh, in those top goalscorer charts and doing it for West Ham as well. Unbelievable start for Jared Bowen and someone I personally hope uh, does go to the Euros. Right, now the central striker position. So a couple of options here and see uh, I'm going to come to you first, actually, just to, he probably will say it doesn't need too much explaining, but you've got gone for that Erling Haaland through
1: the middle. Yeah, I've just gone for the best striker in the league this season.
0: Yeah, fair enough. 14 goals, uh Tomo, you've gone for something a bit different. There's a bit of a theme here, actually. I've seen you've got Emmy Martinez in your side. Uh I've seen that you've got Dougie Louise, obviously. I've seen that you've got Kamara in there, but you've gone for Oli Watkins.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Look, I'm I'm just putting together <laughs> I'm I'm putting together his impact on the team this season, and he's got nine goals and nine assists in the Premier League. Aston Villa are third. They're the team of the season, so it for me, it's, um, it's not a shock, really, that I'm putting their players in the team. Um, Erling Haaland has been great. He's got 14 goals in 15 games. Um, but I just think Ollie Watkins has, has had a bigger impact on the team. Um, so... I've just gone for Ollie Watkins. I know it sounds stupid, but I'm I'm sort of like saying these things out loud, and I it, like sort of hearing myself and thinking, yeah, you do sound like a bit of a dick, but but no,
0: I... I'm actually going to go a bit left field here. I'm going to agree with you on Watkins. I don't think Harlan's been particularly great so far this season. Um, I know he's the top goal scorer, but I think that's due to the sheer volume of chances that are created for him. Um, I think he's missed some sitters. Sit here on TV a lot. I see it. I don't think he's been himself. Look, yeah, he's on 14 goals already. Um, he's probably going to go on and have a 30 goal season. But I think Ollie Watkins has been unbelievable. I think he's going to be linked to some big, big clubs uh, over the next few months, maybe a little bit in January, but certainly the summer. Um, and yeah, I think just for. there something do. In the league, Yeah, but people still that you sign new deals, don't you? As players and people come in for you, um, and you're just going to get a bigger fee. But uh, yeah, I know this probably uh, isn't going to go down too well, but I am gonna I'm going to have Ollie Watkins in through the middle. So get up, yeah, get one down, yeah. (laughs) Also, big mention, big big mention to Dominic Solanke, uh, who's on nine goals. Or it might be eight goals. I don't know if he's lost his goal versus Luton now. I guess if they replay the game, he might have. But uh, what I'm looking at is Dominic Solanke's on nine goals. Unbelievable uh, return for playing for Bournemouth at this stage of the season. Someone I highlighted on the pod a few weeks ago and I mentioned in the same breath as Man United and got absolutely ridiculed for. But uh, yeah, if he carries on that form, then potentially he will uh, be someone who can get a bit of a move as well. But, boys, just to run through that side we've got then, so our team of the season so far, um, just before the halfway stage, is Allison in goal, uh, Trent at uh, right back, Saliba and Virgil van Dijk as our center uh, your doggy from Spurs at left back, we've got a midfield three of Declan Rice, Rodri and Dougie Louise, we've got Salah and Son either side of Ollie Watkins. So,
1: <laughs> so <coughs> Sorry, um. I don't know I don't know if you boys saw but my um, internet cut out there just before just whilst we were talking about that striker you boys said something about Ollie Watkins I turned back on you're running through the decided team of the season and I hear Salah and Son either side of Ollie Watkins so let me ask this quickly
2: no cuz look we we know we know Haaland's a better player we know that
1: that, now, no, I know you know that, T-Gal. <laughs> what I'm saying is, for this team of the season, if you said to Unai Emery, th- if you said to Unai Emery right now, based on this season, would you swap Watkins for Haaland? But that's not that's not the question. I didn't say it was. I'm asking you the question. What would he say? Well, obviously he would swap him, yes. Why is it obvious?
2: Well, because Haaland's Harland, the best striker in the world right now.
1: But not in the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs>
2: No, I just, uh, I, I, just Idiot. I, I agree with everything that Murph said.
0: Look, we got Emmy Martinez, Kieran Trippier, Jared Branthway, uh, Anthony Robinson, the most lucky to be there I've ever heard, Bubakar Kamara and Erling Haaland on the bench. So fair, Mike, can I just
2: can, can I quickly just um I like
1: Ollie Watkins, by the way. I think can, he's a can good I player. just
2: quickly make a um a case for Anthony Robinson. No, no, I just want to say that when I did choose Anthony Robinson, I'll be honest, and uh, I did completely forget about Destiny doggy's existence.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah, I think if if Zinchenko listened to this as well, he'll be sat thinking what on earth has gone wrong there for Anthony Robinson to be on the shortlist. But uh, yeah, not someone I mentioned either. I did go for Yudogi. Boys, let's move on to the next uh, game week of Prem games uh, to come up with. And um, every week we seem to say now probably the biggest game of the season. But I would say this is now just given uh, probably decides who sits top at Christmas. Uh, But Liverpool versus Arsenal. Um, Tomo, I saw that uh, Jurgen Klopp said off the back of them beating West Ham 5-1 in the Carabao Cup uh last night that he needs a bit more noise from Anfield uh for this
2: game. Do you think that's a bit of a
0: knock-on from the United game where that uh it seems a little bit dead in there?
2: Yeah, definitely. That's a that's a Jurgen Klopp masterclass, I would say. Um you just won 5-1 in the Carabao Cup, qualified for the semi-final. Obviously, we know the Liverpool fans absolutely adore and worship the ground that he he walks on, and rightly so. Um so so yeah, he's just he's just reminded them to to sort of to play their part essentially, and and obviously, Klopp knows that this weekend's a massive game, and we all know over the years watching games at Liverpool is that that Anfield crowd can affect games, and case in point, this fixture last season, Arsenal were two 0 up, I think it was Xhaka. Went in on a hard tackle on on Trent or something like that, and they got they got in amongst it, and then Arteta and Klopp got in amongst it, and then the crowd went nuts, and then Arsenal sort of went into their um into their shell a little bit, and then it, and the game ended up being two all, and it it turned out to be the start of Arsenal's sort of demise, I guess in in the the title race. So yeah, look, I think I think Klopp. Everything he, he said was correct because that that United-Liverpool game was a bit flat, but whether that was the fans' fault or whether it was the players' fault, it's irrelevant. I think he's just sort of lighting a fire a little bit amongst the fans and you'll see a great atmosphere there on um, Saturday. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that one. It's going to be a great game. And, Laura, obviously, we spoke about Arsenal
0: needing to to win some of these kind of big games to to go on and win the title. Obviously, lost at Villa, uh, Anfield, no, e- no easier to go to. But um, do you fancy them to go and get something?
1: I don't know. If they do win, I, I think that, obviously, it doesn't cement the league for them. But I think they move into big, big favourites then. If you're going to Anfield in a season whereby they're back to something like what Klopp would say is you know, the Liverpool that he had three or four years ago and get all three points, they're already top of the league, then it's a huge, huge statement. Um, I actually think, look, if Liverpool win it, I think uh, you don't want to lose any game, but Arsenal have got the most breathing space, haven't they? If they lose a game, they're only going to be two points off it and that's probably the hardest game of the season along with City away. So, um, you know, Liverpool will have the pressure on them, I think, to win that at home. And if Arsenal nick it, which they could do with the attacking quality they've got, then big, big favourites for me. Already favourites, but even more so. And good do you game. know
2: what, Lauro, I completely agree with you. And I think the biggest reason why they might nick it is because of Declan Rice. He's just, yeah. he brought them on to another level where I just feel like he's, well, look, I mean, we spoke about him in the team this season and rightly so. I just think he he's going to be, if they do win the league this season, he'll be the reason why, because he's that good.
0: We agree on something. <laughs> yeah. another game boys Tottenham versus Everton um, Loro, Everton got four wins in a row now in the league but obviously go to Tottenham which is a uh, a slightly different um, animal
1: going to to play Big Angers boys uh, a
0: home win for Tottenham
1: yeah I think Spurs will run all over them um, you know, obviously they're not going to win every game Evan and although they are a lot harder to play against and Dice has got them set up in a way that is much more viable in terms of winning football matches I think Tottenham at White Hart Lane are the best team in the league to watch. Um, And they're going to have to ride their luck at times. If Everton can sit in and make it edgy for Spurs um, later on in the game, even being 1-0 down going into the last sort of third or quarter of the game, then maybe. But I think that's one that could be like 3-0 at halftime and kind of Spurs sail away with it. I know that probably won't be that's not like an obvious shout i don't think i think i don't think that would be unanimous if you asked 100 people who win that game it would probably be closer than spurs smashing everton but i've just got a feeling they'll do to everton what they did to the likes of newcastle recently and just use that big stadium they've got a white hart lane and all the fans excitement as to the brand of football they're playing just to go in with a bit of a christmas cracker and score lots of goals against dice's men on saturday just a feeling tomo um
0: obviously spurs hitting a bit more um form again, but Benton Cor Madison and Van der Ven, obviously long term injuries. We've also got the Basuma who got sent off and we spoke earlier on the team the season, uh, about Udogi, Doggy who's collected enough yellow cards to miss out. So potentially five starters there from their side. Do you think that maybe gives Everton a, a better chance?
2: Um well yeah obviously if um Spurs are without all like quite a lot of their um important players it obviously gives Everton a bigger chance, but look, I just think look, Everton played in the quarterfinals this this week, didn't they? Lost on penalties to Fulham. A lot of takes a lot of energy that, especially given Amadou Onana, had a penalty to win it. So all of the emotions of that, etc. Tottenham had a free week. Um, They're at home. The last two games that Tottenham have played Everton at home, they've had an aggregate scoreline of seven nil. So. Yeah, I I agree with Laura. I do. I I fancy Tottenham um, to win the game. There's no shock there, really. And um, yeah, Hyung Min Son might be my captain.
0: (laughs) Okay, nice insight. Um, West Ham versus Man United next up. Um, Tomo, Man United obviously put in a, a dogged display at Liverpool and won a point. Do you think that's potentially a bit of a blueprint for them? Uh, away from home it seemed like they played a second midfield a little bit deeper obviously Bruno Fernandes be back from suspension so probably got that midfield headache of does McTominay and Bruno play together and both be kind of forward uh playing almost in those 10 roles just uh, a little bit on how you expect United to set up there
2: no I think this game will be more more like the sort of the United of before Liverpool um the liverpool game sort of we off our, our hand was forced like you said bruno was suspended um and liverpool are that much better than us that we almost have no choice but to sit in and sort of hit them on the break so west ham tend to do exactly that as well they like to sit in and hit people on the break so i expect that to be a tough game i went there last season um and it was the worst game of football ever, and if you remember rightly, um, I'm not sure. I think it was Lanzini actually who had he had a, the weakest shot of all time, and De Gea flapped it into his own net, and we lost. So I won't. I just wouldn't be surprised if we get spun there. West Ham, I think, have been unfairly treated this season. David Moyes, especially, they won seven out of the last ten games, and I know they got absolutely twatted by Liverpool. Yesterday in, in the um, in the Worthington Cup, but um, but I I think they've been good. Do you know what I mean? And and every time I I watch West Ham, I see Bowen, I see Kudus, I see Pakatar. Um, Alvarez has done really well stepping in for um, Declan Rice. James or Prowse, suchek has got got back to his best again. They're a very good team, and and there's, I, I actually think they're favourites this this. Um, this weekend, I know it's seven v eight, so it is sort of they are very tight in the league, both teams. But I think they they are favourites, and I I wouldn't be surprised if they they spun us. Yeah, and Laurie, obviously they lost heavy
0: to Liverpool last night, but they left Pakitar, Ward, Prowse, Kurt Zuma on the bench. Um, I think they um, brought Mohamed Kudos off off relatively early, so I think. David Moyes didn't seem too worried about that. A bit weird being a quarter-final, but obviously he did win a trophy last year with them potentially resting some players up, um, home to Man United. Would you have West Ham as favourites?
1: Yeah, home win. Um, You know, United are rubbish, aren't they? And West Ham are half decent. I think that would be a comfortable win for the Hammers.
0: The only player that it looks like they don't have um, is Mikel Antonio, and that seemed to have a clean bill of health and they're playing Bowen through the middle. Um, United obviously still have Casemiro, Dallo will be suspended from his red card from Liverpool, Christian Eriksen on the comeback trail, Harry Maguire out, Malassia still out, Martinez still out, Mount still out, uh, Sancho obviously suspended so yeah it's um, it's not looking good for United and I, I actually think that he'll go back to dropping one of my new um, or Amrabat and playing McTominay and Fernandes, and they'll both play high up, and I think that we will get counted on at real pace by that side. They did it against Wolves devastatingly last time out uh, with Pakita picking out Kudas. So, yeah, worries me that game. Half 12 on Saturday, can see that being a um a bad, bad day at the office for Man United. Uh, tomorrow night, Friday night football, we've got Aston Villa, who obviously we've spoken about how well they're doing so far this season at home to Sheffield United. Obviously, Laurie, their home form's been brilliant, but Sheffield United uh, have got Wilder in now, so maybe be a little bit more dogged. Do you expect any sort of new manager bounce there or Villa's home form to continue?
1: Well, it's almost too big a home banker to guarantee, isn't it? I mean, how many of Villa won on the trot at home now? 15-16? Yeah, the last 15, couple yeah. being Arsenal and City. Um, if anyone's going to break that record, it will probably be rock bottom Sheffield United, won't it? So, let's go for a Blades win, shall we? Happy days. Tomo,
0: guessing Villa for you, home win. Yeah,
2: twelve to one Yeah, they've got our... Um... Most most of the players, Martinez. Um, who have they got? They've got Douglas Luiz. They've got Kamara. They got they got Ollie Watkins in our um, team of the season. So, yeah, they won't be they won't be far from absolutely spanking Sheffield United. Do you know if you remember rightly, actually, which is a funny sort of um, crossroads game, I guess. Was it two thousand and twenty or two thousand and twenty-one? This game was the yeah. only time in history the goal line technology didn't work and it basically kept Aston Villa in the league.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, which is um, a bit of a, an interesting, I guess, interesting fact about this fixture. But yeah, look, Villa will win this
1: game. Another interesting fact about that fixture was it was the first, I think it might have been the first Premier League game back after COVID. Yeah. And yeah. also the first one where they all started taking the knee. So there's a bit of a, a weird backstory to this fixture, and it's all leading to the stars aligning and Just Wilder going there and getting yeah. the Blades win. I might I might take them up on twelve to one. Yeah, I might have a little look at twelve to
0: one if that fixtures um got a bit about it. So yeah, Friday night football tomorrow, eight PM. Chance there though for Villa to uh would it take them top if they won there? I guess it would with the points that they're on. And with Liverpool to play Arsenal and potentially both sides there taking a being happy with a point if that was to happen. Uh, if Villa do win that and the other games are draw, that's right. They'd be top at Christmas, which would be absolutely mad.
2: Insane. Just quickly, actually, a, a stat I heard on a, on another podcast this morning. Um, the only two clubs in history who have not won the Premier League after being top at Christmas are Arsenal and Liverpool, and they've done it three times. Was um, Arsenal top last season? Yeah. Christmas? Yeah. So it will either be, or like you just said, it will either be... Um, Arsenal, Liverpool, or Aston Villa top at Christmas this 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 season, and I actually think that that stat will will get a new entry at the end of the season because I still think Man City will win the league.
0: Well, yeah, Man Man City don't lose after Christmas, do they? So you have to win every single game to win the league. It's uh, yeah, a bit wild, really. <laughs> Uh, They don't, obviously, just to mention, actually, Man City are off in the Club World Cup, so uh, they don't actually have a game this game week. I think it's Brentford, the side, uh, who they'd have been playing, who don't have a fixture either. So if you've got any Man City or Brentford players in your FPL, um, I would say it would be worth changing them, but I think the deadline's just gone for the game week, so unlucky. Um, Wolves versus Chelsea, that game's on at Christmas Eve. Boys, I'm not too worried about
2: that game. I want to get your thoughts on a Christmas Eve game of football, if I can not for me fuck it off (laughs) but the funny thing the funny thing about that is though is that um trains still work on christmas eve or they still go ahead on christmas eve um and to be fair the uh the kickoff time is 1 p.m so it's not overly
0: yeah you could still get back to london from birmingham i guess after the game if you were a chelsea fan
2: yeah, it's not overly a bit of a piss take. But and then Boxing Day, obviously, that fans don't really care about having fixtures all day, every day, or every year. But there's no trains then, everyone's got to drive. So, um, but yeah, Christmas Eve, I think they're taking a piss,
0: <laughs> mate. I think Man United on Boxing Day have got Villa at home, I want to say, at 8 pm. Yeah, yeah, we do. Imagine being a Villa fan getting tickets for United, and there's no public transport, and it's eight PM on a Boxing Day.
2: Not just a night out in Manchester. Yeah, I suppose yeah. You
1: stay up in Manchester. Uh, you're going. Yeah, you're making a choice to go and watch Man United against Aston Villa, and Boxing Day in this country is synonymous so with football. Wouldn't change that for the world. So let's not get too bogged down with the train times. I do agree, though, with T. Gal. Christmas Eve ain't really for football, is it? Particularly for Chelsea Wolves.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, w- I would just say, actually, Chelsea seem to take like two steps or one step forward, two steps back. Obviously, they beat Sheffield United in the league. Uh, they're through to the semi finals where I think they got Middlesbrough in the semi final over two legs. So you can just right imagine them going, getting turned over at Wolves, can't you? And Kunya and Huang running wild there. Um, as I said, oh, no game-
2: just quickly on Huang, Laura. Yeah. I know he-, he was one of your shouts for team of the season so far. He's just signed a contract at Wolves until 2028, about 20 minutes ago. So I'd put all your money on him scoring on Christmas Eve. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah, another one of those players that I think signed a deal with the view that potentially someone might come in for him in the summer and they've they've signed him where his release clause gets taken out of his contract or suddenly you're trying to sign a player who's got three years left on his deal
2: rather than one um, and makes it a harder... No, Hwang Hwang has just gone from middle of the road... And now he's Wolves' top earner.
0: Yeah, and that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, valid. Not every player needs to be looking for a move at all times, do they? He's probably just getting rewarded for his fine form. So, well done, Hwangi. Uh, Other games in the Prem. So, Forest versus Bournemouth. Obviously, Steve Cooper's left Forest now. Um, Nuno in charge there. So, big first game for him. Uh, Tonight, there's some football as well. There's some Thursday night football. Uh, Palace versus Brighton. I'm sorry... So it's a derby
2: game, like M27 or M22 Derby. M23 Derby, yeah. And yeah. uh I think it all stems from like in the 60s or 70s, like a couple of players like got really bad injuries against each other. And ever since then, the two clubs just hated each other, which to be fair, I'm I'm all here for. I love rivalries like that mean absolutely nothing to everyone else, but everything to the to the clubs involved. I love it. Yeah, I think
0: it's, it's quite it's got bad blood between the fans as well. It's such a random one. But yeah, I suppose it, uh, if there was some injuries in a game, makes a little bit of sense. Uh, Fulham versus Burnley uh, and Luton versus Newcastle. Obviously, Newcastle absolutely exhausted at the minute, um, slipping up everywhere they go. And I think Luton obviously be buoyed by um, the news that Tom Lock here has been, I think, discharged from hospital now and feeling a lot better. But I think that will probably galvanise them. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they go and get all three against Newcastle there. Uh, luton and obviously best wishes to uh tom lockyer boys we'll uh move on to the efl um i think what we'll do is we'll run through some of the fixtures and i was just going to run through the top goal scorers as well um getting towards the halfway stages some names that obviously crop up on the the pod quite a lot but um i want to come to lauro about leeds versus ipswich in a minute but tom i just start with you uh pyramid cup holders southampton uh, they had two draws in a row. Looked a little bit shaky for them to lose it. Went and smashed Blackburn four 0 and they now go away to QPR next up.
2: Yeah, and you fully expect them to keep the cup. And to be honest, I'm start I'm starting to become a Southampton fan now. I'm gonna have to get a get the uh the home shirt, I think. Um, but yeah, look, they'll go to QPR. Well, I fully expect them to go to QPR and get the three points, hundred percent, and keep the cup.
0: Yeah, I mean, if this carries on like it is, we're going to have to get down to St Mary's because they're just the team that we speak about every week. We'll have to uh, get down for a game. Uh, Laurie, come to you, Leeds versus Ipswich. Obviously, we've spoken for a number of weeks now about the uh, the gap in points with Leicester and Ipswich on, on the chasing pack with Leeds,
1: obviously, leading up that chasing pack there. But
0: probably a must-win game for Leeds, you'd say?
1: Yeah, definitely a must-win game. Um, we've obviously beaten Ipswich at Portman Road, but we haven't been able to close the gap really since then. If anything, it's got... Uh, even wider in Ipswich, don't show, haven't shown any signs of letting up, have they? Neither of Leicester, so um, absolute must win at Ellen Road. Obviously, it'll be a lively place tomorrow. The only thing that worries me is just sometimes Ellen Road, because the the crowd is so raucous, it can go one or two ways. That can and things can become very negative um, quite quickly if you find yourself behind or you don't find yourself in front or you know, but there's too many misplaced passes or, or whatever. So um, I've seen that happen in the past. So hopefully we can get off to a good early start, get ourselves in front and uh, yeah, start to close that gap to to the tractor boys because they've been absolutely phenomenal this season. And if, if they do end up, there's a long way to go, but if they do end up going up, um, they'll more than deserve it. But look, it's Christmas. It's a Christmas cracker at Ellen Road and that's over <laughs> three points.
2: It, it, it's so big that game because it does feel like if Ipswich win, away yeah. at the Road, then it's yeah, almost... It's done. Yeah, it feels like it's done, doesn't it? And yeah, they I were see- really impressive. Points. Yeah, 13 points, exactly. And they were really impressive against Norwich the other day. I know it was at home and they, they didn't get the three points, but they still absolutely battered them, really. And um, and I, do you know what? I'm surprised because we we're talking about the, the managerial merry-go-round and it has started with, obviously, Steve Cooper getting the sack. Um, And it feels like McKenna's almost... Getting bypassed a little bit, so like that's brilliant for Ipswich fans because obviously they want to keep him.
0: Yeah, yeah. A management <coughs> spoken about potentially, and it, there there will be teams that start to panic in the prem uh, after Christmas uh, about keeping their sides up, and he will be a name I'm sure on people's uh, shortlist. But yeah, actually, the, this game week for the championship does spell the halfway mark, and if Leeds go on and win, they might find themselves where they're on 45 points. Uh, which if you double up to the end of the season would take them to 90, but they could be 13 points still off the top of the league. Just, just how strong Leicester are. Um, and I would expect Leicester to win. They've got bottom of the table, Rotherham at home, who are on 13 points to Leicester's 55. A um, couple of other fixtures. So Michael Carrick's Middlesbrough, they host West Brom. West Brom up into obviously fifth place, uh, six points behind Southampton and Leeds. Uh, Middlesbrough League form dropped off a little bit, but they are into the semi-finals of the uh, Carabao Cup, got Chelsea over two legs. Uh, and then Sunderland, um, who are in seventh place at the minute, three points off the playoffs, they host Coventry. But uh, Michael Beale, Lauro been named as manager there and someone who we spoke about on a previous pod as potentially not being um, the best fit with his current stock after the job he'd done at Rangers, but
1: looks like they've obviously now given him the the job. Yeah, well, he, he forged a good reputation for himself, didn't he? As Stephen Gerrard looked. Or- coach or assistant or, you know, one of the people that he trusted back at Rangers and Aston Villa did a, a quite a good job at QPR for about 10 games. And I think he, he was top of the league at one point with a, with a side that we know have now proven to be quite a low level within the championship. Um, but it's just gone downhill since then. He had a bit of a media... Um, catastrophe where he said he wouldn't leave QPR that quick to go to Wolves but then jumped at the chance to go to Rangers and then he got sacked at Rangers for doing a pretty mediocre slash crap job so I'm surprised that Sunderland have decided that he's the man to take them forward over Tony Mowbray who had them on the brink of the playoffs and in the playoffs last season it it just, just feels like a strange one to me to be honest with you but look he's shown that he's a good coach and that he's got credibility within football management but he needs to go on and getting promoted really now because that's what Moby looked like he was going to do at least get him in the playoffs
2: yeah I, I was listening to a couple of his interviews this week and I just he reminds me of David Brent do you not he's just like a little bit of like managerial jargon and a little bit like almost it feels like he's not he's not that authentic Um but obviously that's just me just judging a book by its cover because obviously I'm only watching the interviews but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not. I'm Yeah, I'm not sold on him to be honest. Or and I don't. I don't think he'll do a great job there. But, but I just will say the reason why he went into QPR and, um, was because basically he did a really good job with the young players, and I think the Sunderland director or the owner, um, feel the set exactly the same way. That they obviously got a group of young players there, um, the Jack Clark's of this world, um, who need to be moulded and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So he has got a good reputation for working with young players, but then so did Toby, Tony Mowbray. So
0: yeah, yeah and- I don't know. It's
2: a stra- it's a strange one all round. And usually, when a manager goes into a club against the backdrop of clubs or oh, sorry fans not really fancying him, it usually doesn't end well. It's, it's quite easy. Like, it's easy. If he just loses two games in a row now, it's like backs against the wall stuff. So...
0: Yeah, and I think Sunderland fans won't want someone who's going to come in and mould the youngsters like Jack Clark. Jack Clark's got 10 goals already this season and is uh, one of the top players. I think that they will be looking for someone who could take them up. I don't think Sunderland as a club feel that they should be in the championship, but the fans certainly won't. And so, yeah... I don't know I don't I don't get a good feeling with that one I don't get a good feeling for it um just quickly just a round up of the um the championship where we are so far as we get towards the halfway uh, stages just to run through the uh, top six sides so you've got Leicester on 55 points Ipswich on 52 Leeds and Southampton on 42 uh, West Brom and Hull occupy the other playoff spaces uh, on 36 points and then your bottom three is QPR Sheffield Wednesday and Rotherham uh, and just to run through the top goal scorers, uh, Sammy Smoddik's at Blackburn on 14, Adam Armstrong, Southampton 12, uh, Crescencio Somerville at Leeds is on 10, as is Jack Clark of Sunderland and John Rowe of uh, Norwich, who I hadn't heard of before, I must admit until I'd seen it. So and haven't heard his name mentioned on the pod, so he must have been banging in some goals recently to get up into double figures. Yeah, he got a brace against Ipswich uh, in the Derby. Uh, last
2: time out so yeah to be fair to him he scored about seven in the first five games oh did he yeah yeah
0: fair play to him so someone to watch out for only 20 out on that right wing for Norwich uh, move on to League One boys again I think there's some football either tonight or tomorrow in League One uh, and that's Paul Warren's derby uh, versus Lincoln's big game actually six versus uh, ninth place it is tonight um, a win for Derby uh, would see them climb up through the the playoff positions. Um, and Lincoln, obviously in ninth place, uh, have got aspirations of their own to get into it. The, a win for Derby would take them up into third place, um, above Oxford, Stevenage, and Bolton. Round up of the other games: Portsmouth, uh, look like they got a home banker against Fleetwood, first versus twenty-second. Uh, Shrewsbury host Peterborough, which is thirteenth versus second. Uh, big game: Barnsley versus Stevenage, seventh versus fourth. And third place Oxford goes to Northampton. Uh, but yeah, few games in hand to be had there and Bolton can sort of get back into it. But um, Portsmouth just opened up a little bit of a gap there uh, by seven points. And then the top goal scorers, boys, see if you can name who the clubs are. I'll go to each of you. Uh, Loro, in fifth place, Sam Hoskins on 12.
1: What you, who does he play for? Yeah. Northampton. Very good. Been there about
0: Tomo 10 years. In. Tomo, Devante Coles in fourth
1: place on 12 goals also.
0: Yeah, he he plays at Barnsley. Very good, Loro Jamie Reed on thirteen goals.
1: Yeah, Steven Edge next Torkey, good player. Good.
0: Uh, this is really difficult. Uh, fourteen goals, Tomo Jordan Rhodes. Yeah, Blackpool. Yeah, all right, and uh, Laura. Yeah, Alfie May, fifteen <laughs> goals, go good game. Cheers, boys. Uh worries. Round up in League 2, Stockport versus Not- Notts County. First versus sixth place there. Uh, so, big game for Stockport and Notts County there. Some big games actually in League 2. Crew versus Barrow, second versus fifth. Third place, Wrexham host 17th place, uh, Newport. And Mansfield will be looking for all three points as they go to 24th place, Sutton. Um, we'll go through the top goal scorers in a minute. But, um, Tommy, just come to you, Forest Green, new manager.
2: Yeah, Troy Deeney. Yeah, yeah, I was a bit surprised. He, he, to be fair, he went in as player coach um, at the start of the season. And look, Troy Deeney is a massive personality. So I guess with them struggling so much, um, it's sort of a bit of a natural fit. And he's, but the, the one key sort of point to make is that he is still a player. He's just now a player manager. So I wouldn't be surprised if he starts himself, capped himself, takes the penalties, takes the free kicks, takes the corners, takes the throw-ins, all of that stuff. Um, But yeah, so yeah, he's the new head coach.
0: I mean, not to judge a book by its cover,
2: but I thought Duncan
0: Ferguson was a horrible fit there. Like, started off, didn't he? He did his first interview and the the owner of Forest Green handed him like a vegan burger and talked about their kit being 100% recyclable and they want to build a wooden stadium and all of that sort of thing. I just can't imagine Troy Deeney going in and having a conversation with the Forest Green yeah, owner but, like, yeah. "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna recycle our kit and it's all gonna be from netting that we've got out of the sea saving turtles." Troy, what do you think?
2: No, I, I agree with you, but that if, if I would completely agree with you, if Troy Deeney was an outside appointment right now, but he's been in there for four or five months and he's obviously um, got a relationship with the owner. Um, if you remember rightly, actually during pre-season, I think. The owner, and I, I still think it was, to this day, a bit of a publicity stunt. Um, he appointed a woman's manager um, on an interim basis and he became the first... Forrest Green became the first club in men's football to appoint a woman's manager. Um, so, yeah, look, he is a bit like that, isn't he? What's his name something, the the owner? Delvin. Vince. That's it, Dale Vince, yeah. He was the um, one of the main... Um, funders of just stop oil um but it's important to point out that he has stopped funding them now but yeah look troy deeney and just stop oil match made in heaven yeah he not he stopped funding just
0: stop oil when it's two center halfs incomes training because they were sat in front of a bus in london or something <laughs> like that i think i read Uh, Just to run through the top goal scorers in League Two. Won't play that game. I didn't realise you two were such knowledge buffs on your uh, EFL. But Jake Young, top on 16 goals. Macaulay Langstaff, um, absolutely salient in the uh, Football League as well on 14. Matt Smith on 14. Uh, Isaac Olaf on 13. uh, And Michael Mellon on 13 as well. So, yeah, League Two, great league. Can't wait to see the second half of the season there. Laurie, come to you uh, for the Glovers. So, nil-nil draw versus Hampton and Richmond. Uh, out both Cups in, in recent weeks. One win in four National League South games. Um, obviously, the, the captain's left the club in Josh Staunton, but Eastbourne Borough, who are in the relegations, away at the weekend and hopefully a chance to get back to winning ways.
1: Yeah, hopefully. I think it's a big game, actually, because as you've just alluded to, the form's been quite indifferent of late. Yeovil with Had a great season, but we've actually struggled against the kind of teams at the bottom of the table away from home this season. We've lost to Havent and Waterlooville 4-3 and we lost to Welling the other day, got smashed actually 4-1. So Eastbourne Borough are a team of that mould. They're not doing overly well in the league this season. Last time I checked, they were certainly towards the bottom half of the table. And um, the problem is they're actually quite good. This is the reverse fixture. I watched them at Hewish Park this season. We beat them 3-2, but they did go 2-1 up. They had a couple of good players, a midfielder called Paxman that caught the eye. And they're a full-time team, I think, Eastbourne. They've got some money down there. So they've obviously got a good group of players that are sort of gelling at the moment and um, will possibly be one that come good in the second half of the season compared to what they've done in the first half. So I think that if we can go down there and get a victory, it's a weird one because it's the 23rd of December, but I think it's one of, if not the longest away game we'll have um in terms of distance this season if we can go down there and get a result it would be brilliant but look we are seven points clear um and we've got a couple of local derbies to look forward to Boxing Day and New Year's Day so big game in different form but you'd hope that the strength of the team will be able to get past Eastbourne this weekend
0: yeah indeed I say really hope you ever get back to uh to winning ways there a bit of a long trip for them but um I think Torquay in second have got Chelmsford, um, not, not an easy fixture maybe, and Hampton and Richmond, who obviously got, we got that point against their, uh, against Western Supermare. So one of our uh, local sides to us can hopefully do us a bit of a favour there uh, with it. But yeah, we'll uh, obviously check in on how um, the Glovers did on, on Boxing Day and hopefully second half of the season push towards that title uh, and, and get promotion to the National League. Boys, we'll finish with a bit of a festive uh, Pyramid Pod treble. Um maybe a bit of Christmas spirit to get us off to uh, winning ways here. But if I can ask you to get yourself ready, a team to win uh, on Saturday, if possible from all of the fixtures that are available uh, to you, that would be great. Um, I don't mind starting this week. Actually, I've got a side in mind that I'm going to go for. um, And that is crew at home to Barrow uh, second versus fifth. I think crew obviously been in good form. I think that, um, they will beat Barrow, albeit close in the table, and I think their odds are quite strong as well. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go for Crew, for me, Tomo. Um,
2: well, <laughs> I'm going to go for Luton at home to to Newcastle. They're four to one, and um, not because of my commitment to losing the podcast money every single time. I'll just fancy Luton to win that, and actually, um. Newcastle have really struggled over the last couple of weeks, the injuries, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just one of those ones where you just feel like something could could happen. The Tom Lockyer effect of the players being galvanized and wanting to win for him. Um and four to one's massive odds. So we could we could win a, a fair few quid for the charity here.
0: Yeah, well, crew are thirteen to ten, so we're already at ten to one.
1: Laurie? I'm gonna go for Birmingham away at Managerless Plymouth um I think Rooney maybe started to turn a corner I've had a a result lately I think but I think Plymouth might be a bit down in the dumps there and uh yeah Birmingham to take three points from home park an absolute festive 33 and a half to
0: one banker (laughs) with us in unbelievable form 10 pound returns 345 let's get the treble off to a uh well, I say a winning start, it's the 20th time, but let's get a win under our belt uh, and really attack the second half of the season. Boys, that's all we got time for. Uh, we'll be back uh, just after Christmas uh, to look at these. this, obviously, game week's fixtures. There'll be games all around the festive period, including Boxing Day, uh, and we'll preview any games happening towards New Year. But yeah, just to wish all of our listeners a Merry Christmas and we'll speak to you all next week. Cheers, boys. Thanks,
2: guys. Cheers. Cheers.